Hola, bienvenidos a Quien Te Pregunto. We are your hosts, Gabby and Marissa. We are coming at you with an abroad episode of Who Asked You. We're both studying abroad in Madrid. Um, we still know very little about Spanish politics, but we are still... We're trying. Sad, We're we learning. We still sadly watched that three-hour-long debate, which was at two in the morning here. Can't say I watched it live, but... We're going to keep it nice and concise, just like those moderators did during the third debate. Shout out to George and the rest of them. They really no, did the most. No, the moderators snapped. They really did. This is how you do it. Take notes, other networks. At CNN specifically. <laughs> um, okay, so to start off, we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of the debate over health care between Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden. I think at this point, we've made our views on healthcare and the differences between candidates' plans pretty clear. So I think we want to talk more about the political implications of that debate and sort of into a wider conversation about how unity, I think, in this debate was prioritized more than in fighting. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. I feel like there was a few moments where it got a little chaotic or whatever, but for the most part, I think all the candidates seemed to stay in their lane. It made me a little frustrated when we were going back to the basics of everyone's plans again, because I think that at this at point, this point we we've know. talked about it so many although times. mayor pete talks all about medicare for all who want it yet has not released his plan they asked him a date and he said i don't know so that's true <laughs> there's definitely a divide between people who talk about it incessantly and people who probably don't even have a plan Paint some broad brush strokes <laughs> exactly They're like we need health care in this country i'm like okay cool well thank you're so brave <laughs> well, thank you so much Um, And so, like, I don't know, I feel like Warren, obviously, we know that she can explain things very well. I thought that it was important, of course, to bring up some of the dead spots in Sanders and Warren's campaigns as well. But I think I just I wanted something more from this healthcare debate. I wanted more maybe personal stories. I wanted more things beyond how we're going to pay for it. I wanted more complexities because at this point we've been retiring the same numbers over and over again and talking about the same talking points but i don't know it just fell flat what about you yeah we've talked about it so many times so at this point i wish we could have dedicated time to issues that never come up i.e women <laughs> um just exactly. you know at moderators everywhere make that a topic but i was watching it more for like the political implications of what it meant at this point everybody knows like you said, what people stand for. I did think Elizabeth Warren did a little bit more to distinguish herself from Bernie Sanders. She definitely, I think, has her eye a little bit more in the general election now because she had such a great summer. I think she made it less about, you know, the insurance companies are scamming us um, and more about, you know, people don't want to have to take premiums and co-pays and healthcare is a right, things like that. I did think she evaded the question a little bit about will taxes be raised on the middle class. I think she'd either come out and say, yes, but overall costs will be less because you're not have to pay co-pays and premiums. But I wish she did seem a little waffly. I'm giving an answer there. There's so much more opportunity for this whole, nobody likes their private insurance. Yeah, I really appreciate how her and Bernie said that because that's something that we've talked about extensively. Exactly. And so I think we just need more of that, like more of the, what will it mean for us, not only economically as a country, but socially, politically, what will it mean for me as an individual when my insurance will quote, get taken away? That's what I would want to know personally as a voter is how their plans will affect me beyond just raising or lowering my taxes. Um, I thought it was interesting. A lot of people anticipated a bit of a Warren Biden showdown in the same vein as like um, Biden and Kamala Harris got into it in the first debate. That didn't really happen. Yeah, it's like the first time that they've been on the same stage. I wonder if maybe maybe that didn't test well for her. Um, maybe it's because the moderators weren't trying to create these little fights, um, which I appreciated it. <laughs> it's not a boxing match, I will say. Biden came out pretty strong, pretty aggressive. I thought he was definitely much more aggressive and I'm fighting for the country rather than just like paternalistic, like, oh, vote for me because like I'm the safe choice, the right choice, like I'm the mm-hmm. grandfather or whatever. <laughs> and so I, I appreciated how he was like, this is my plan. This is Sanders and Warren's plans. Here's what I think is wrong about that. Here's what I think is right about mine and that Warren and Sanders did the same thing. And it was less about personal grievances or differences and just, you know, here's my plan. Here's what I think. Voters can make their own decision. Showing that unity was definitely like brought out in opening statements. It was brought out very early on. 
And so that's why I think that um, Castro's, like, kind of choice to go after Biden was a little unexpected. I think that he's definitely trying to showcase himself and differentiate himself as something because he is polling pretty low in comparison to everyone else, even though he still made Mm -hmm. it onto the debate stage. And I think he had an okay showing, but I wanted more from him to differentiate himself based on his personality and what he did in the Obama administration. I think he started to get there, but I I wanted more of a full push. Yeah, I think attacking Biden, especially in the manner he did where it, you know, suggested things about Biden's ability to remember, especially because in that instance, like Castro had actually misheard Biden. I just thought the whole instance didn't play well for him. It just seemed like unnecessary. And the most part, I thought it was pretty civil, somewhat, I don't, I wouldn't say low energy, but like pretty low key maybe, or re- <laughs> relaxed as opposed to some of the other debates. I think it was like the noticeable absence of John Delaney was appreciated by me. <laughs> Obviously, Bernie was like choking up a storm but i guess that's why we need medicare for all so and someone dropped like a glass and like, shattered a vase or something in the background it was kind of a <laughs> noisy debate to be honest it was strange i also thought kamala harris made it very clear she's already in the general election in her mind so she's like listen plans are plans i'm the one to beat trump and she kept bringing it back to donald trump and that's the message she's trying to send to voters i'm a prosecutor whatever i can prosecute the case against trump but I think at the same time, she needs to get better at owning up to her record. Definitely. I mean, she was way more prepared for it this time. Yeah, no, definitely. She she read Twitter, hopefully, <laughs> and like saw that everyone's like actually concerned. She logged on to Twitter.com. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, it's a right concern of many voters to say, hey, we should interrogate everybody's backgrounds and records, including Kamala Harris. But I'm sure she spent hours preparing for that question. And yet when it came up, I was just so disappointed because I think she tried to explain herself as like some sort of like humble, noble come up, which is fine. But then like your record still is the same, no matter what drew you into prosecuting or what took you out of it. And so owning up to the mistakes and the things you've said and done that are bad instead of buckling down on them and defending them with all your might that's not gonna cut it especially when you attack biden like she does rightfully so again on his record like you can't have it both ways you can't be like everyone's pasts are up for negotiation which i think they should be and then at the same time be like oh well my past isn't like that's okay because i can explain it away like we wouldn't take that from definitely but at the same time i think it's important for you and i to remember that like the electorate is not Twitter and like definitely not our Twitters. I think the average person isn't as, you know, obviously tuned into the day to day of the campaign trail and doesn't know as much about her past as a prosecutor. So I think if you're coming at it from a standpoint of, I know like she has some things that she should apologize for. I don't really know specifics from that sense. I think, did she like defend against those allegations? No, but she presented like alternative information that put her in a positive light. So I think from that sense, it was like a good answer and she like crafted a good narrative around it. If you're somebody who isn't already coming at it with, that like depth of knowledge no i could definitely see it that way i just think if like the moderators are gonna bring it up it's not like she it would be one thing if she had to bring it up herself but i think because the moderators and the candidates have tried to like take her to task on that i think that she should be able to have like a definite answer the same way that if like a moderator asked elizabeth warren about the native ancestry test debacle i think she should be able to confront that head-on and explain and give some reasoning behind that and apologize in a public forum but I mean, I don't expect them, unfortunately, to bring up these issues with their own campaigns and their own likability context. Well, women aren't likable, so it doesn't, you know. Well, speaking of women, um, they didn't because they did not. there was literally no mention of women besides, like, a few times. The most, like, dramatic instance of talking about sexism to me was, like, Warren's brief mention that she, like, literally got fired for being pregnant, like, back right. in the day. I was like, okay, like... Yeah, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. It just like it felt it just it feels so obvious to especially us because, you know, 
that spoiler alert we are women (laughs) but it just feels like so obvious a giant mix up like half the country is women half the voting population is women and whether you have one ideology or another you're going to be affected in some way or shape or form by the presidency and so i would like to know what candidates are going to do about trans women being murdered about abortions about birth control about sexual assault about the pay gap all these things that like have a huge consequence on my life every day and i was actually really disappointed in the context of the gun control conversation that nobody brought up misogyny which is like a factor in nearly every mass shooting Mm -hmm. misogyny and racism seem to be the biggest causes of these mass shootings right and i was glad they called out white supremacy but like in literally nearly every single mass shooting the shooter has expressed misogynist sentiment there's just so many things that they could have talked about in regards to women regards to native americans and regards to like foreign policy that they just really have not brought up in a nuanced way Unless someone like Kirsten Gillibrand or like Jay Inslee with the climate change stuff. Right. Her absence was felt. R.I.P. Kirsty. <laughs> candidates who are like more of these single issue people, like bringing things up. Like we have that with the economy. We have that with healthcare, And we have that with Beto, I think, now as gun control. But we still need to be talking more about things that like affect a large swath of the population. I also really wanted to talk about the moderators because shout out to them. Yes. All four of them did a great job. I really appreciate how instead of asking questions like, but what would a Republican think? They'd ask questions that framed it in a specific way, but allowed them to talk greater. So like, for example, one of the moderators asked Biden, you know, President Obama tasked you with getting gun control legislation passed. Your claim to electability is that you can reach across the aisle, but you couldn't get it done then. What makes you think you can get it done now? Like, I thought Mm -hmm. that was such a great way to frame, uh, you know, Biden's messaging marrying it to an issue but then not framing it in such a narrow way where you have to defend yourself against an attack that like only that non-democratic voters would make so i really appreciated that yeah they did their homework they were on twitter after the cnn debate <laughs> they're like okay let's take notes they did the reading mm-hmm. they get an a from me i do wish a lot of candidates would talk a little bit more about specifics like the models are trying to get them to do about how they would get these things passed so you know it's one thing to say i'm gonna fight for you and i think cory booker is really guilty of this a lot of the time saying no one's gonna fight har- harder than me for this i live in x community like Right. So I see this every day and I care about this, but it's, you know, they ask them repeatedly, like, how are you going to get this done in a Republican Senate, for example? Or like, how, do, like, mm-hmm. if you don't support removing the filibuster, how are you going to achieve these things? Which there was one time, like, name a Republican colleague who you think would actually support this. And he just avoided the question by saying, you know, and it was inspiring and motivational, but he was like, I will fight for this, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay, I believe you, but within the context of the American system, how are you going to achieve this? To kind of sidetrack, I think one candidate that did pretty well was better work he definitely was not asleep this time he took his nyquil after the debate not before and i think it definitely helped boost him like it definitely helped that like all the candidates seemed very pro his work in el paso and i think rightfully so his response was important he's been critiqued almost by like conservatives and by the right and by some moderate democrats by saying oh he's just picked up el paso as like part of his campaign he's like politicizing this but i think he's definitely leaning into this the correct way in saying like this is part of my home state i mean a state honestly that has not been supporting him very well throughout this primaries but nonetheless he's like this is my state this is where i come from this is where i live this can be changed in a major way it's also just really interesting to see like the distance between the parties like when beto said this country didn't start in 1776 started in 1619 with the kidnapping of the first enslaved africans and everyone like cheered it's so funny thing like republicans literally cannot even acknowledge like the 1619 <laughs> project I mean, to be fair, Beto also didn't technically acknowledge the 1619 project, but that's, <laughs> that's another thing for another day. <laughs> 
Also, speaking of racism, Biden. <laughs> so he like did fine, but I think this was probably his best debate performance. And honestly, for Biden, like not fucking up huge is like a win for him. Like obviously, he said the record players thing, but right, he's know. been coasting for a while. But like, so like not doing badly is definitely good for him. But at the same time, like all this coded language, like I'm so tired of it. Like he clearly is talking about black children when he's talking about things like the four million word gap, which has been proven wrong and like saying, oh, poor children in schools doing not as well as white children. To me, he just appears like a relic of the past. I think from this debate, it's interesting because both Biden and Harris were pushing this message of electability, right? Harris is like, I'm the one to take on Trump. And Biden is like, I'm going to fix the problems. You know, I know how to do it. I'm not, you know, too far to the left. I'm, you know, I'm right. What you You know me, blah, blah, blah. And so they both sort of went down that road. And I think for this debate mostly, if you liked Biden, I don't think there was really anything to see there that would make you change your mind. If you didn't like Biden, I think you probably felt the same way you've always felt. Honestly, it can be counted as like a win for him because the bar for him is so much lower than every other candidate. I know. And that's the problem. I don't know. It just makes me so upset that he can just get away with saying these things and still be at the top of the race in the center of the stage. Like record players. Are you kidding me? Today, we, Marissa and I were in art history class, learned about, like, ancient art. Like, that's where it belongs. <laughs> Andrew Yang also was, like, leaning into some stereotypes when he was like, oh, I'm an Asian. I know a lot of doctors. Like, okay, that joke felt so flat. Like, I cringed so hard. I just don't understand, like, why he keeps doing it. And, like, obviously, he's an Asian American and I'm not. So, like, I'm not going to tell him how to, what to well, say. I am. But, like... He shouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you can, yeah. But, like, just from what I've seen on Twitter, just from, like, you know, understanding how, like, positive stereotyping is still stereotyping and it still makes, like, members of a community who aren't, like, who don't associate with those stereotypes, creates an isolation and differences within the communities. And there's such a huge range of income and quality among Asian immigrants, and that is continually glossed over for the stereotype that everyone who comes over is wealthy and educated and can get into those high ranking doctor and lawyer positions and is like going to start a fortune 500 company but there's a huge 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 pay gap between some of the richest people coming in and some of the poorest people coming in maybe it's a sidetrack and it was really only one line but i think it also illustrates a larger problem of andrew yang being painted as this model minority like with the whole comedian being hired in snl thing like oh god that is such a mess (laughs) like why even i'm not even gonna get started on that but andrew yang had some like viral moments i would say i think people cheered a lot for him and i think he got some good press on twitter but i just don't see the viability of his campaign going further because everything that came out of his mouth was just like also the like subtle illegal vibes of giving money like through his campaign account to people like paying for votes (laughs) you can't do that i love when he said that pete Buttigieg was like hmm okay right (laughs) (laughs) from like a political strategy standpoint i think at this point it's pretty clear that like for those early states Biden, Warren, Sanders, and then to a lesser extent, Harris, Buttigieg, maybe Booker, are going to be really competing. From those candidates on the side of the stage, at this point, what do you think we need to see from them? This time between the third and fourth debates is going to be critical. So I think it means a lot more town halls. It means a lot more interacting with voters and figuring out where the demographics are that they're not really reaching yet and trying to hit those in a non-pandery way. I mean, which honestly it was not possible at this point, but (laughs) trying to reach out to as many types of communities as possible and... I don't know, just, mm-hmm. like, seeming less corny and, like, more human. For me, as right. a potential voter, seeing someone regurgitate their platform on Twitter is not going to make me rush to vote for them. But seeing them mm-hmm. hold a really good speech or answer a question really well during a town hall, that's going to make me more inspired. Have a good viral moment. Ra- yeah. Right. Rather than AK-47s are bad, which, you know, is 
true they but are. <laughs> that doesn't like that doesn't distinguish you from anybody else because i'm scrolling on twitter i'm scrolling on facebook on any other social media and i see that and i like it and i just keep going nothing really sticks with me past that what about you um i'm curious to see when voting starts the difference between you know these national forums and the on the ground teams that these candidates exactly, are employing especially yeah. in a state you know iowa first in the nation very important politically that's a state where from my understanding there's a really big impact of like on the ground like interactions with candidates, interactions with candidates, team members, five person, you know, coffee, meet and greet situations, whatever it may be. So I'm curious to see like if candidates like an Amy Klobuchar has more on the ground appeal, then she comes across nationally. Um, and if there's something that, you know, the national press or the national narratives are missing or if they're just never going to get the name recognition at this point. Also, one blind spot I kind of noticed was foreign policy. We can see that these candidates do not know their way around foreign policy, and that is kind of making me concerned at this point, because before I think it was fine to focus on domestic issues, because, you know, as America, we have so many. And yeah. <laughs> as foreigners ourselves these days, for exactly two weeks. <laughs> I just, like, actually, like, genuinely need to know, like, what these candidates think about Venezuela, about China, about, like, X, Y, and Z, without tying it to the economy solely, because, yes, like, the economy is a huge factor, but so is you know, military colonization and welfare and foreign relationships. And they've talked about those things in the past, but like just not well. Yeah, I'm curious know? to hear definitely more on like um, foreign policy in terms of climate change is what I'd like to hear more of besides just like reentering the Paris climate agreement. And definitely mm-hmm. it was the boringest section for me when they talked about trade. Um, yep. I did find it interesting when Elizabeth Warren, and she said this before, it wasn't the first time she said this, she sort of staked out this position that's mostly associated with like activists from the 90s after the WTO was created. In the Clinton era, there was this sort of merging between unions and environmental activists who um, basically their position and Warren's position is that for unions, they lose out because when multinational corporations are allowed to move their labor and their manufacturing costs to places that don't have regulations or as strict regulations like China, then American businesses lose out and American workers lose out. At the same time, then those countries are also not allowed to have strict environmental regulations. So then it's, you know, global labor and global environment suffer in that sense. And then it also hurts, you know, American businesses and the global environment. It's not enough for me. Economy and climate change, those are obviously very important to the American people and to the broader world. But when the United States has been doing so many heinous things in terms of immigration, in terms of foreign policy through the White House, I need more at this point, And I don't know if we're going to get that in time for the fourth debate. You know, if I'm between two or three candidates, that's going to be a tiebreaker for sure. Not just because I'm studying abroad, <laughs> but because like the world that we live in is clearly going through a lot of crises right now. And I need someone who will be able to articulate like their plans and their policies and actually enact them. We can't just have someone who will do something that someone else tells them to. I want someone who wants to take action or put people into office who can take action. And I haven't really seen that from any candidate in particular. I'm also curious to start hearing about what an administration under these candidates would look like, you know, how they're going to staff their cabinet, what kind of things they're looking to do in terms of civil service, State Department, Department of Education, all these bureaucratic functions that have been essentially at best made irrelevant and at worst completely mismanaged and actively doing harm under the Trump administration. First 100 days, what are your priorities? You know, what are the things you're really going to push? Because sometimes, you know, you only get a policy window. You can only push forward one thing. Well, I mean, it seems like Biden's going to be vice president forever, (laughs) so I feel like he doesn't really need to have anything because, you know, as vice president, you can't do anything at all because, (laughs) as he said on the debate stage, Obama was really in charge of that whole immigration thing. Like, he was just sitting there. But he was in charge of gun control and nothing happened. When's the next debate, Gabby? Would love it to be never, but (laughs) when it comes, we'll be here. (laughs) Unfortunately, hopefully they make it a time that's accessible to, uh, I don't know, Europe, because we're the most important voter base (laughs) in the American election, and to uh, Russia, who will be controlling the entire election. Yeah, I think they'd really appreciate it if they could watch it at a convenient time so that they know uh, how much money to give to Tulsi Gabbard. (laughs) (laughs) She's still swinging. Okay, dedication-wise, 
we are recording this during our study abroad session. I am in a closet currently. Gabby's in her room. It's like 9 p.m. This is very difficult. Dinner time around here. An early dinner, if you will. So we're trying to diversify some of our content. So I see some graphics coming up. But yeah, just stay in touch. We will be continuing this the entire time we're abroad. Um, a little more infrequently than over the summer. Nadia nos preguntó. <laughs> Some of us are still working on that. Um, it's Cory Booker, it's not me. But <laughs> okay, no is still no in Spanish. I didn't realize that. Thank you, Cory, for that. Cory Booker taught me. He's the Dora of the democratic debates. <laughs> Nobody asked us, but here we are.